The, the reading today is taken from John 3. We'll start at verse 1. There was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. After dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What do you mean? exclaimed Nicodemus. How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind but can't tell where it comes from or where it is going so you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. How are the, these things possible? Nicodemus asked. Jesus, Jesus replied, You are a respected Jewish teach, teacher, and yet you don't understand these things. I assure you, we tell you what we know and have seen, and yet you won't believe our testimony. But if you don't believe me, when I tell you about earthly things, how can you possibly believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ever gone to heaven and returned, but the Son of Man has come down from heaven. And as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only Son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his Son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. There is no judgment against anyone who believes in him, but anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only Son. And the judgment is based on this fact. God's light came into the world, but people loved the darkness more than the light, for their actions were evil. And who do evil hate, all who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it for fear their sins will be exposed. But those who do what is right come to the light so others can see that they are doing what God wants. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good evening. So for those who don't know, I'm Chris, and it's good to see you this evening. Um, okay, so John 3, it's a well-known passage, and a bit of a challenge, if I'm honest. Nicodemus, it's hard to underestimate how significant Nicodemus was in his um, culture. He was a Jewish religious leader. He was a Pharisee. The Pharisee had a very strict understanding of the law and fine details of exactly how to obey every single detail and then the added detail onto detail. 
and um, he was a member of the Sanhedrin, which is the Jewish, um, the supreme Jewish court. See, he was a bit like a judge, a university professor, maybe a member of the House of Lords, maybe a bishop, all rolled into one. When Jesus says later on, if you are a teacher of Israel, the, the Greek apparently says, if you are the teacher of Israel, it may be that Nicodemus was like the top man. And somehow he sensed something big here. In spite of all of his credentials, all his qualifications, all his success, or everybody must have respected him and said, hey, there's the man, that's Nicodemus, you know. As he walked down the street, he must have been like, whoa, you know, he's the guy. In theory, he reached the top. That was it. He couldn't go higher. And yet, deep in his soul, he knew that God was in Jesus working and not in the same way in his detailed application of the law. He was a, there was a hunger here for something that was real. So after one dark one evening, he came to speak to Jesus. Rabbi, he said. That's interesting he calls him Rabbi. He's calling Jesus teacher. And that was quite a respectful thing to call somebody a rabbi, especially when the normal way of becoming a rabbi was to follow the rules, pass the exams, get there by going through the process. Jesus had just sidestepped the whole process and he still calls him rabbi. We know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs evidence that God is with you. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What do you mean, exclaimed Nicodemus? How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? And Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. It's interesting that the kingdom is about the king. It's about who's the boss. And the kingdom is where God reigns. Nicodemus has come from a situation where he has all the rules, he has the formulas, he has it nailed down, exactly what he has to do, and he's doing it to, you know, the nth degree. And Jesus talks about the kingdom of God not being there, but something different. I'm born again. It's a fresh start. Fresh start is an amazing thing sometimes in my, in my life. I, I can think of when I first started teaching, three years in Wolverhampton, oh. <laughs> I now only now realize looking back that my head of department was next to useless. They used to call me Mickey. The kids used to call me Mickey because there was a big song at the time. Hey Mickey, you're so pretty, don't you? You remember this song? It was huge. And for some reason I was Mickey Mullen. Now, what I now know is that as they walked along singing, if they were singing, I should have just clicked my fingers and said, cool song, guys, and just ignored them. You know what I mean? That's what I should have done. My head of department said, stamp down on it, because he was sadly not a very good head of department. 
clamp down on it, be angry, and that was the worst possible advice. And so the teachers amongst us are nodding their heads, you can understand here. And, oh dear, dear. It was a strange cultural phenomenon in that school as well that um, all but one of the West Indian children were in bottom set. All but one. Now, and I can go into a long detail and I can talk to you for hours about this because I read books about it because I was fascinated. I had this um, West Indian girl who sat at the back of the very bottom set in year 11. And uh, she was a, one of the smartest people I've ever met. And it was like she had the whole class on strings. She had more power over that class than I had, and I'm not kidding, but she knew exactly when to stop so that I would go to say, now you've done it, and she'd say, Mr. Mullen, what have I done? And I'd sit there think, what has she done? I know she's the power base here, but she's ruling this class and she's ruling me, and I am stuffed. <laughs> I went to the head of the department at the start of the year, bottom set, year 11. I said, what do I do with this class? He said, anything you like. I said, what do you mean? He said, they're not doing any exams. Do anything you want. New teacher. <laughs> you <know. laughs> Gosh. The point was, I needed a fresh start. After three years in that school, I was on my knees. I'd gone beyond the point of pulling this back from the mess. I needed to clean break. And I went to a school in Workington, which should have been a tougher school. It was so much better. And I learned from my mistakes. I still made a few mistakes. Believe me, I still made lots of mistakes. But I kept on learning. And at that point, I needed a new start. And to become a Christian is to have a new start. It's to say, we are now a new creation. The past is done. You have a clean slate. We still mess up, but we come into a kingdom with a God who forgives and loves and wants to help us all. So this guy's the complete beginner coming into this. It means he has to become a new beginner. Now, my experience of this, it's anecdotal, I know, but my experience is that successful people Maybe I'm being unfair there. In my experience, the problem in my experience is successful men. And my, it's anecdotal, and I may be doing the disservice to lots of wonderful successful men. I don't mean that. But I find that it's very difficult for some successful men to start again and become complete beginners. Because Jesus says we have to be born again. We have to start again and become children and learn and it's hard and it's wonderful that a man like Nicodemus was prepared to come to Jesus because he's the top guy and he's saying I need something here there's something here I need teach me and we've all messed up <laughs> There's a great song by James from a few years ago now called Sit Down Next to Me. I think it's a profoundly Christian song. <laughs> Those who find themselves ridiculous, sit down next to me. It's a profoundly, deeply Christian song because it says we're all in the mess together. <laughs> Some of us delude ourselves, but the truth is we're all sinners in need of a saviour. It's interesting Jesus says, you must be born again. 
This is not an option. There are not two kinds of Christians, the born-again believers and the non-born-again believers. In Jesus' economy, as recorded in John's Gospel, he says, you must be born again. Now, of course, we have a bit of a problem with this term because it has been used as a label, as a caricature sometimes, of a certain kind of Christian. Um, people often on the TV, I've noticed, apart from the odd, rare, wonderful occasion, um, there, was a, there was a series called Broken, I think, about a Catholic priest a couple of years back that was brilliant. But generally speaking, the Christians are the judgmental people who think they know best and this kind of thing. And the, the caricature that we have often uh, from America of TV evangelists who are crazy rich and flying in their private jets. You know, this kind of caricature of born-again believers who um, you know, are very right-wing and they think everybody should have guns. I know I'm being a bit silly and over the top here, but out there in the world, the born-again believer has certain connotations which are not always good. Um, and that is a sad thing and a sad indictment of human nature. It may be that sometimes born-again believers are just given a hard press because people, as it says, we will learn later, when it comes to the light, some people are drawn to the light and some people are not. You know, and it may be that some of the stuff that goes with being born again is just people being judgmental who are not Christians. It could be. But Jesus says, we must be born again. It's not a certain type of Christian. And being born again is the fresh start. It's the new creation in Christ, the new life in him. Forgiven, adopted, joint heirs with Christ. This is an amazing privilege and an amazing position to be in. I can look back in my life and see the point, I don't know the date, but the point where I became a Christian. Um, and the sense of God's presence with me that day, of 17 years old, was amazing. Not everyone can do that. Some people have been brought up as Christians, some people have made a gradual change from where they were, and they suddenly realize one day, I get this, I believe, I'm in. At what point did that transition take place? They maybe don't know. They maybe can't put a point and say, I became a Christian on that day. And that's fine. But, the, but you, we have to get there to the point where we realize that we live, want to live for Jesus. We repent of who we've been and what we are, and we want to follow him and live this new life in Christ. And the important thing is not the process, but getting there. He says he cannot see the kingdom of God. Apparently, literally, the life of the age to come. And when we pray, Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your will be done, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. We're praying that we might see his kingdom outworked here. And Jesus says, to be part of that kingdom, we have to be born again. And he says, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. Not everybody agrees on this, but the basic tenet that most people 
think is correct is the baptism represents the water the old life is over the new one has begun or it could be that the water represents the water of life i'm not keen as a west cumbrian on the image of the rain as god's blessing culturally i'm not sure about that a great song i don't mean to knock that <laughs> sunshine is the culturally appropriate <laughs> sign of blessing <laughs> but in a harsh and dry land the rain is the sign and water is the sign and the river of life is the sign and the river of living water flowing out from us and that's the sign of the holy spirit and the holy spirit convicts of sin it enables us to start a new relationship with our father brings us new life in jesus the holy spirit transforms our mind and brings the fruit of the spirit into our lives and the gifts of the spirit and the power that we need to serve him there's one other reference to being born again in the new testament in 1 peter it says you were cleansed from your sins when you obeyed the truth so now you must show sincere love to each other as brothers and sisters love each other deeply with all your heart for you have been born again but not to a life that will quickly end your new life will last forever so there's two things about that first of all this this birth is eternal this birth is from now and forever and the second one is if we're born again into this we, we are born into a new family and that means you my brothers and sisters are part of this family and if we are to be a family we are as Pete says to show sincere love to each other as brothers and sisters for indeed that is what we are and in this family we can come to god as abba as father we can come to god in an, in, an intimate way that just wasn't really part significantly of the old testament this new and wonderful way in jesus that says abba father There's this interesting line, the wind blows where it wills, where it wants. Just as you can hear the wind, you can't tell where it comes from or where it's going. So you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. Um, and you can't explain what the Spirit's going to do. And it's very difficult to predict what the Holy Spirit's going to do sometimes. And just a little aside here. Sometimes I kind of think this is the sort of person who might become a christian but this kind of person i don't think so they're just not in the zone let me tell you about the motrins they wouldn't mind this because they are passionate believers and they just want god's kingdom to come so the motrins were the best hairdressers in west cumbria bar none they come from a big fancy salon in manchester and decided they wanted to run a salon in Cockermouth. People used to drive a long way to get their hair cut by the Mottrams. When you went into the Mottrams, believe me, a more arrogant bunch of people, it was hard to imagine. And they would sit, ladies would sit in the seat, and one of the Mottram men would pick up their hair and they'd say, what is this? I kid you not, I know people who they said this to. And the woman at this point is like, 
this is the best hairdresser in West Cumbria, or for miles and miles and miles, I have to put up with this terrible behaviour because they do the great haircuts, and I'll put up with anything. And I've driven from Carlisle or from Egremont or Millen to get my haircut, you know. So the Mottrams were notorious. Um, and uh, sometimes people would come in, sit down for the haircut, and they'd say, I'm not doing it. I'm just not prepared to cut your hair. It's too much of a mess. Go away. <laughs> and and um, eventually the Mottrams became Christians. And then they used to cut people's hair and tell them about Jesus. You know, you have to be listening to me tell you about Jesus because I'm the best hairdresser <laughs> 50 miles radius. So come and get your hair cut. And people knew they would have to be listening to the stories of Jesus. You know, that was what... They... So it's not easy to predict what the Spirit will do. It's not easy. I'm lost now. Okay, so how are these things possible, Nicodemus asked. Jesus replied, you are a respected Jewish teacher, yet you do not understand these things. Jesus may well have been referencing Ezekiel 36, where it says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. Your filth will be washed away, and you will no longer worship idols. I will give a new heart, and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take away your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. I will put my spirit in you and you will follow my decrees. You will be my people and I will be your God. And what follows that is the story of the dry bones that come to life in God, the dead and the dry and the lost. Jesus thought that, you know, Nicodemus should have known this stuff. And we go on to verse 16, the very famous verse. This is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world but to save the world through him. Wow. This is probably one of the most famous verses in the Bible. If you don't know Jesus, I would say, this is life. He's offering you life. Take that offer today. Come and talk to someone afterwards who will pray for you. It's interesting, the, the word belief. In James, um, James argues, even the demons believe. This is a belief to live by. You know, I have this sort of difficulty believing aeroplanes can really fly. Sometimes even when I'm in an aeroplane, I struggle to believe, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> I went to visit my daughter in um, South Africa, and it was two stories full length. <laughs> and, the, and the lady told me, the air steward told me, I think she said, empty, no fuel, nothing. I think she said, 375 tons. <laughs> I don't believe that can fly, do you? <laughs> if all the seats were, were reasonably close together and there was no first class, there'd be about six or seven hundred people on this plane. You know, it's, just, it's a village worth of people, a reasonable size. 
The thing about belief is that to believe, I have to, it's no good saying, I believe that a plane can fly. I have to get on it and fly it. Or I have to get on it and be flown in it. I wrote a song once and it said, you don't believe in a road, you walk it. You don't perceive the truth, you trust it. You don't have the concept of life, you live it. This is a belief that you're going to live your life by. It's a belief like the belief in gravity that says, I believe gravity will pull me to the ground. You know, it's a belief that if I keep breathing, I'll keep living at least for a while, you know. It's, it's a belief in the basic things in my life that says, this is how I'm going to build my life. The song we sing, I will build my life upon your love, it is a firm foundation. This is a belief to live our lives by. And Jesus goes on to say, there is no judgment against anyone who believes in him. But anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only son. And the judgment is based on this fact. God's light has come into the world, but people love the darkness more than light. That actually does tie into my experience, I find. When people really see the light, some people are drawn and some people run away. Um, it's interesting, I mean, somewhere like Rwanda, I don't know if this is, this is true, but I've, I've thought about this. Huge revival in Rwanda in the 1950s, huge. And yet Rwanda, not that many years later, they were killing each other. I think, how do I explain this? It could be that the gospel touched individuals' lives but didn't really change culture and society. Or maybe if something amazing happens, there are those who are drawn towards the light and those who deliberately harden their hearts against the light. And maybe when revival breaks out, the ones who harden their heart against it are pushing themselves further away in the other direction. And I see it in people. I, I was talking to a guy a couple of years ago at Messy Church and he was really open and really interested and, and I thought, this is amazing. Um, and next time I saw him, it was clear the shutters had come down. And it was sad, but you know, it was like, I'm not going there, Chris. The message was very loud and clear. Uh, I've thought about it, and I'm not going there. And I thought, well, I can't push, and it's wrong for me to push. And maybe time will change because you know, when I first heard about Jesus and really thought about it, a bit of me thought, oh, this is interesting, and a bit of me thought, oh, I'm not sure about this. These people are a bit keen, they're a bit extreme, you know, is this really what I want? Is this... And then there's this sense of whose life is it? If I come to Jesus, I'm coming to give him my life, and I want to keep it for myself. And we all struggle with that battle, but the light, attracts some and repels others. Um, at one point, um, I can't, I meant to look it up, you know, it talks in the Bible about the gospel being an offense. And some to some are offended by the thought that they need to be forgiven, that, that there's a God who is actually potentially judging them. 
or interested in them, you know, it's like, um, but what we can, all we can do is seek to show the light as we as born again believers in the power of the spirit, we can just ask God that we will be light, that we will be Jesus and we will show the light to people and some will be attracted and some won't. It's interesting what happened to Nicodemus. In John 7, we can read about Nicodemus standing up for Jesus and saying it's not right for us to judge him. And after Jesus died, along with Joseph, Joseph of Arimathea, he went to get the body. And it says Nicodemus brought with him about 75 pounds of perfumed ointment made of myrrh and aloes. This would be, one, a lot of money. And the second, I struggled to find out. I thought the internet would tell me somewhere, but I couldn't find out. But it wouldn't be cheap. And this is an enormous amount, far more than you would normally use to bury someone. And apparently the only people who you would use this much myrrh and aloes would be, would be for a king. So at the end, Nicodemus was recognizing Jesus as king. He was recognizing that this was the king and he was part of that kingdom. So being born again, it's not an option. It's a new life. It starts now, but it goes on forever. This is life in its fullness. It's a fresh start. It's being completely, utterly forgiven and loved. How good is that? It's about growing to be like Jesus. It's about God is our Father. It's about you and I are brothers and sisters in Christ. We're part of God's kingdom here on earth. We're called to walk in the light and bring light to others in the power of the Holy Spirit. This is the life that we begin in Jesus. And he wants to, us to growing and learning and, uh, and bless us in. Father, we thank you. Jesus, we thank you that you gave everything that we might have this life. That you died on the cross, that we might be forgiven. That you were raised from the dead, defeating death. And the life you give, the life you now live, is the life you want to live in us. We praise you for the wonder, the sense of your presence for eternity in our hearts. Amen.